Chapter Two, Part Two of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter Two, Part Two. Eh, eh! What new thing is this? Said Dona Bondio. Who is that tyrant? Said Renzo with the voice of a man who is determined to obtain a precise reply, who is the tyrant who is unwilling that I should marry Lucia? What, what, what? stammered the astonished poor man, his face in a moment becoming pale and colorless as a rag just emerged from the washing-tub. Then, still stammering, he made a start from his armchair to dart towards the door. But Renzo, who might have expected this movement, was on the alert, sprang there before him, locked it, and put the key in his pocket. Ah, ah, will you speak now, Signor Curato? Everybody knows my affairs except myself. But by Bacchus, I too will know. What is his name? Renzo, Renzo, for charity, take care what you are about. Think of your soul. I am thinking that I will know it quickly in a moment. And as he spoke, perhaps without being aware of it, he laid his hand on the hilt of a dagger which projected from his pocket. Misericordia! exclaimed Dona Bondio in a feeble voice. I will know it. Who has told you? No, no, no more trickery. Speak positively and quickly. Do you wish me to be killed? I wish to know what I have a right to know. But if I speak, I am a dead man. Surely I am not to trample on my own life. Then speak. This, then, was pronounced with such energy, and Renzo's face became so threatening, that Dona Bondio could no longer entertain a hope of the possibility of disobedience. Promise me, swear to me, said he, not to speak of it to any one, never to tell— I promise you, sir, that I will do an ill deed if you don't tell me quick quick his name. At this new adjuration, Don Abondio, with the face and look of a man who has the pinchers of the dentist in his mouth, articulated, Don't. Don't, repeated Renzo, as if to help the patient to utter the rest. While he stood bending forward, his ear turned towards the open mouth of Don Abondio, his arms stretched out, and his clenched fists behind him. Don Rodrigo, hastily uttered the compelled curate, making a rush at these few syllables, and gliding over the consonants, partly through excitement, partly because exercising the little judgment that was left him, to steer his way betwixt the two fears, it appeared that he wished to withdraw the word and make it invisible at the very moment he was constrained to give utterance to it. "'Ah, dog!' shouted Renzo. "'And how has he done it? And what has he said to—' How, eh, how? replied Dona Bondio, in an indignant voice as it were, feeling after so great a sacrifice that he had in a manner become a creditor. How, eh? I wish it had happened to you as it has to me, who have not put my foot in it for nothing, for then certainly you would not have so many crotchets in your head. And here he began to depict in dreadful colors the terrible encounter. As he proceeded in the description, he began to realize the wrath which hitherto had been concealed or changed into fear, and perceiving at the same time that Renzo, 
between anger and confusion, stood motionless, with his head downwards, he continued triumphantly, You have done a pretty deed. Nice treatment you have given me. To serve such a trick to an honest man, to your curate, in his own house, in a sacred place. You have done a fine action, to force from my lips my own ruin and yours, that which I concealed from you, in prudence for your own good. And now, when you do know it, how much wiser are you? I should like to know what you would have done to me. No joking here, no question of right and wrong, but mere force. And this morning, when I gave you good advice, eh, in a rage directly, I had judgment enough for myself, and you too. But how does it go now? Open the door, however, give me my key. I may have been wrong, replied Renzo, with a voice softened towards Don Abondio, but in which suppressed rage against his newly discovered enemy might be perceived. I may have been wrong, but put your hand to your heart, and think whether in my case... So saying, he took the key from his pocket, and went to open the door. Don Abondio stood behind, and while Renzo turned the key in the lock, he came beside him, and with a serious and anxious face, holding up three fingers of his right hand, as if to help him in his turn, "'Swear at least,' said he. "'I may have been wrong, and I beg your pardon, sir,' answered Renzo, opening the door and preparing to go out. "'Swear,' replied Don Abondio, seizing him by the arm with a trembling hand. "'I may have been wrong,' repeated Renzo, as he extricated himself from him, and departed with vehement haste, thus cutting short a discussion which, like many a question of philosophy or literature or something else, might have been prolonged six centuries, since each party did nothing but repeat his own arguments. Perpetua! Perpetua! cried Don Abondio, after having in vain called back the fugitive. Perpetua answered not. Don Abondio then lost all consciousness of where he was. It has happened more than once to personages of much greater importance than Don Abondio to find themselves in extremities so trying to the flesh, in such perplexity of plans, that it has appeared to them their best resource to go to bed with a fever. This resource Don Abondio had not to seek for, because it offered itself to him of its own accord. The fright of the day before, the harassing sleeplessness of the night, the additional fright in the morning, anxiety about the future, had produced this effect. Perplexed and bewildered, he rested himself on his armchair. He began to feel a certain quaking of the bones. He looked at his nails and sighed, and called from time to time, with a tremulous and anxious voice, Perpetua! Perpetua arrived at length, with a great cabbage under her arm, and a business-like face, as if nothing had been the matter. I spare the reader the lamentations, condolences, accusations, defenses, the, you only can have spoken, and the, I have not spoken, all the recriminations, in short, of this colloquy. Let it suffice to say that Don Abondio ordered Perpetua to fasten the doors well, not to put foot outside, and if any one knocked, to answer from the window that the curate was confined to his bed with a fever. He then slowly ascended the stairs, repeating at every third step, I have caught it, and really went to bed, where we will leave him. 
Renzo, meanwhile, walked with an excited step towards home, without having determined what he ought to do, but with a mad longing to do something strange and terrible. The unjust and oppressive, all those in fact who wrong others, are guilty, not only of the evil they do, but also of the perversion of mind they cause in those whom they offend. Renzo was a young man of peaceful disposition and averse to violence, sincere and one who abhorred deceit. But at this moment his heart panted for murder, his mind was occupied only in devising a plot. He would have wished to hasten to Don Rodrigo's house to seize him by the throat and— but he remembered that his house was like a fortress, garrisoned with bravos within and guarded without, that only friends and servants well known could enter freely without being searched from head to foot, that an artisan, if unknown, could not put foot within it without an examination, and that he, above all, he probably would be too well known. He then fancied himself taking his fowling piece, planting himself behind a hedge, looking out whether his enemy would ever, ever pass by unaccompanied, and dwelling with ferocious complacency on this thought, he imagined the sound of a step. At this sound he raises his head without noise, recognizes the wretch, raises the fowling piece, takes aim, fires, sees him fall and struggle, bestows a malediction on him, and escapes in safety beyond the borders. And Lucia? Scarcely had this word come across these dreadful fantasies, when the better thoughts, with which Renzo was familiarized, crowded into his mind. He recalled the dying charge of his parents. The thought of God, of the Blessed Virgin, and of the saints, returned upon him. He remembered the consolation he had so often experienced from the recollection that he was free from crimes. He remembered the horror with which he had so often received the news of a murder and he awoke from this dream of blood with fear, with remorse, and yet with a sort of joy that he had but imagined it. But the thought of Lucia, how many thoughts it brought along with it! So many hopes, so many promises, a future so bright, so secure, and this day so longed for! And how, with what words, announced to her such news? And afterwards, what was to be done? How were their plans to be accomplished, in spite of this powerful and wicked enemy. Along with all this, not a defined suspicion, but a tormenting shadow flitted every moment through his mind. This overbearing act of Don Rodrigo could have no motive but a lawless passion for Lucia. And Lucia, could she have given him the smallest encouragement, the most distant hope? It was a thought which could not dwell for an instant in his mind. But was she aware of it? Could he have conceived this infamous passion without her perceiving it? Could he have carried matters so far without having made an attempt in some other manner? And Lucia had never mentioned a word of it to him, her betrothed. Overcome by these thoughts, he passed by his own house, which was situated in the middle of the village, and proceeding through it, came to that of Lucia, which stood at the opposite end. This cottage had a little garden in front, which separated it from the road, and the garden was surrounded by a low wall. As Renzo entered the garden, he heard a confused and continual murmur of voices from an upper room. He supposed it was friends and companions come to greet Lucia. 
and he did not wish to show himself to this company with the sad news he had to communicate visible in his face a little girl who happened to be in the garden ran to meet him crying the bridegroom the bridegroom gently bettina gently said renzo come here go up to lucia take her on one side and whisper in her ear but mind no one hears or suspects tell her i want to speak to her and that i'm waiting in the downstairs room and that she must come immediately the child ran quickly upstairs delighted and proud to be entrusted with a secret lucia had just come forth adorned from head to foot by the hands of her mother her friends were stealing glances at the bride and forcing her to show herself while she with the somewhat warlike modesty of a rustic was endeavouring to escape using her arms as a shield for her face and holding her head downwards her black pencilled eyebrows seeming to frown while her lips were smiling her dark and luxuriant hair divided on her forehead with a white and narrow parting was united behind in many circled platings pierced with long silver pins disposed around so as to look like an aureola or saintly glory a fashion still in use among the milanese peasant girls round her neck she had a necklace of garnets alternated with beads of filigree gold she wore a pretty bodice of flowered brocade laced with coloured ribbons a short gown of embroidered silk plaited in close and minute folds scarlet stockings and a pair of shoes of embroidered silk besides these which were the special ornaments of her wedding day lucia had the everyday ornament of a modest beauty displayed at this time and increased by the varied feelings which were depicted in her face joy tempered by a slight confusion that placid sadness which occasionally shows itself in the face of a bride and without injuring her beauty gives it an air peculiar to itself the little bettina made her way among the talkers came close up to lucia cleverly made her understand that she had something to communicate and whispered her little message in her ear i am going for a moment and will be back directly said lucia to her friends and hastily descended the stairs on seeing the changed look and the unquiet manner of renzo what is the matter she exclaimed not without a presentiment of terror lucia replied renzo it is all up for to-day and god knows when we can be man and wife what said lucia altogether amazed renzo briefly related to her the events of the morning she listened in great distress and when she heard the name of don rodrigo ah she exclaimed blushing and trembling has it come to this point then you knew it said renzo indeed too well answered lucia but to this point what did you know about it don't make me speak now don't make me cry i will run and call my mother and send away the girls we must be alone while she was going renzo murmured you never told me anything about it ah renzo replied lucia turning round for a moment without stopping renzo understood very well that his name so pronounced by lucia at that moment in such a tone meant to say can you doubt that i could be silent except on just and pure motives by this time the good agnese so lucia's mother was named 
incited to suspicion and curiosity by the whisper in her ear, had come down to see what was the matter. Her daughter, leaving her with Renzo, returned to the assembled maidens, and composing her voice and manner as well as she could, said, The Signor Curate is ill, and nothing will be done to-day. This said, she hastily bid them good-bye, and went down again. The company departed, and dispersed themselves through the village, to recount what had happened, and to discover Dona Bondio was really ill. The truth of the fact cut short all the conjectures which had already begun to work in their minds, and to be discovered undefined and mysteriously in their words. End of chapter 2, part 2